Welcome to the fourth episode in the Father and Son Pastoral Podcast. Our current series, as you know, Dad, Mm -hmm. is the Jesus Said That series, looking at every word Jesus spoke in the New Testament. This episode is entitled Jesus' First Call of Andrew, John, and Peter. Mm. As we're going to see, Peter had about three calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, side note, Peter, everything seemed to come in threes with Peter, sure which did. is kind of interesting. It is, yes. And this is taken from John 1, 35 through 42. I'm Pastor Kenny Burge Jr., and I'm joined by my father, Dr. Uh, mm-hmm. Ken Burge Sr. Well, let me um, toss out the two main questions as we begin, and uh, it's good to be back with you, Kenny. I, I look forward to these uh, times so much. Number one, how does Jesus respond to me when I seek him? What's his response to me? And number two, how has Jesus changed my life and identity? I, I'm looking forward uh, to those answering those two questions. And Jesus isn't going to say much today. Uh, in our passage, but these are the words he'll speak. He says, what are you looking for? Come and see, and you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, Mm. which as we'll know is translated Peter. So let's get right to the text. Let's not beat around the bush. Okay. Uh, The next day, John was sitting with two of his disciples. Now, just for context, this is John the baptizer, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just so everyone listening understands. And it says the next day. Hmm. We have to remember our timeline, our simple timeline. Jesus came to John and was baptized by him. Mm -hmm. Then immediately he went into the wilderness for 40 days to pray, fast, and be tempted by the devil. Mm -hmm. While Jesus was in the wilderness, John was still busy preaching and teaching um, on the repentance and baptizing people. And during or possibly during this time, or maybe after, the religious leaders approached John and asked if he was the Messiah. We know that he said he was not and that he was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. The next day after that, that, John had been questioned. He saw Jesus and said that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He went on to say that Jesus was the Son of God and recounts how he was baptized. We covered that in our last podcast. And this leads us to our text today, the next day, which John points to Jesus again. And I think it's kind of interesting. It's almost like Jesus is, keeps walking by That's right. each day. And each day, John is pointing, saying, behold, the That's Lamb him. of God. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's the guy. He's the guy. So um, it was just, it's, it's an interesting thing to picture in your mind. As a child, I always thought the, when you just said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, you know, that was at the baptism and that was it. Mm-hmm. But when you really look at the timeline, it's fascinating. It is. Just how it all, all works Absolutely. together. Absolutely. So in verse 35, it says, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. Now, you want to share with us who those disciples were while well, I have some of this coffee? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's interesting, first of all, and when you look at this, disciples, you look at the synoptic gospels and Jesus um, gives us uh, the 12, but um, within the 12, they're called apostles. Uh, the word apostle is, is one who is dispatched with a mission. But intriguingly, in the classical Greek language, rarely did you find 
the term apostle being plural. So Jesus seems to do something unique by calling his 12 apostles. But here uh, we have the term uh, disciple. And a disciple is simply a learner, but that's the emphasis here in our text today, because we're going to have two, uh, Andrew and I believe John, uh, who will be sitting at the feet of Jesus, who formerly uh, had a relationship with John the Baptist. Yeah. So I, I, when I look at this passage, it helps me to remember, too, that in later passages, Sermon on the Mount and such, it always says, and Jesus spoke to the disciples. Yeah. I always tend to think just the 12, mm-hmm. which is faulty thinking. Right. When it talks about the disciples, that can be the women, mm-hmm. that can be you know the huge crowds that were following him. Mm-hmm. It isn't really till he goes up on the mountain and prays yeah. that he selects the 12, which I think that helped me figure out the whole thing because I always wondered, why did he have these 12 guys following him around? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, then he goes up, prays, and selects them. Mm-hmm. So when you see the chronological order that he has all these disciples following him, then he picked from those 12 yes. uh, to be apostles. Although um, John isn't named here mm-hmm. uh, within the list uh, that are given in Matthew 10, Mark 3, and Luke 6, uh, John is always mentioned in the top four. Peter's always first, but John's always mentioned being a humble kind of guy, yes. he doesn't uh, put his name down here, but I believe, as you do, that that's uh, uh, who is with um, Andrew. Yeah, as we find in the book of John. So both Andrew and John had been listening to John the baptizer speak about the Messiah, and you can feel their excitement hmm. as they listen to John and long to see the Messiah with their own eyes. So this is a, this is a giant moment for them. They're yes, going to meet the Messiah, the Son of God. I can't even fathom that being there. So when he, John the baptizer, saw Jesus passing by, once again, Jesus just kind of is walking by, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he said, look, the Lamb of God. And can you imagine just being there in that moment and saying, look, here's the Messiah. We've been waiting for this guy forever, or people have. And John will even take it farther and say, this is the Son of God. Because I don't think a lot of people knew that the Messiah would be the Son of God. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. So uh, I think that probably blew their minds away when they heard that. So the two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. Can I just uh, chime in? Yeah, go quickly. For it. Go just for it. just two quick thoughts. Yeah. Uh, you you picked up on something I think that the text emphasizes because Jesus is passing by, but in verse thirty five, what do we see of John? John was standing. This is a moment of transition, and you pointed out so masterfully. So John's standing there, and he's going to point uh, to Jesus, and Jesus is now passing by. Literally here, he's walking by, and now the disciples are going to get behind him and become his um, disciple. That's fascinating. And the second thing I'd just like to point out here is that, look, it's the Lamb of God. You heard me comment uh, in our earlier podcast about the article. That is something that is introduced in the Greek that they didn't have in the Latin. But he's not a lamb of God. This is this is huge. He is the lamb of God. Uh, when you study the article, uh, this could be called a monadic or one of a kind or unique um, article. Why? Because there's only one lamb of God. And John's pointing to him saying, this is the one. He is the lamb of God. Of God, and you just stand in awe yeah. 
because even John must be amazed when he points and even to make that statement, mm -hmm. here comes the sacrificial lamb of God, not one, but the unique one. And once again, it's his identity. <laughs> you got it. That's why he's here. That's right. He wasn't coming up. I see a lot of advertisements. Uh, I don't know if you've seen them. I know both of us don't have cable, mm -hmm. but it's the uh, advertisement of Jesus understands us. But it's the idea that he came just to set an example or he came just to show love, where it's like, no, he came to die right. to save us. Yes, he's loving because he's good, because he's God. But That's right. um, So he knew his purpose. Now, as I look at this passage, it does make me laugh because it must have been funny seeing these two grown yeah. men, or possibly <laughs> grown men. Yeah. Um, a lot of disciples were teenagers in biblical times. Mm -hmm. You would go to your rabbi and... So it's very possible that all of the all of these disciples, maybe minus Peter, because he seems to be the only one who's married, were possibly teenagers. Mm -hmm. And that would kind of fit in with the whole yeah. motif of them fighting all the time, arguing mm -hmm. about who's best. Because you watch Bible movies, Bible shows, they're always mm -hmm. like 40, 50-year-old men, and, <laughs> yeah. and they're always bickering <laughs> and arguing, and it, it happens. But it would make a lot more sense to me if this fits in just with the culture that you have a 30-year-old rabbi – and then you have mostly teenage teenage boys who are learning under this rabbi. It's very possible. Excellent point. No, I, I agree with that because even when you look at John's life and how long mm -hmm. he lived uh, as you study the book of Revelation, it fits uh, that they could have been in their teen yeah. years. That's, that's, a, that's a great observation. So here they are. They're following Jesus, but it seems like they're too scared <laughs> yeah. to speak to him. Um, so I, I, it's kind of like following a celebrity That's or right. something yep. where That's you right. don't have the guts to speak up. So they do not speak to him. They just are walking behind him. So I think it's one of those kind of humorous things that mm -hmm. John's recounting, mm -hmm. yeah. such as, you know, beating Peter to the tomb. Exactly. John just gives these little details. Yeah. So it's kind of an awkward moment for mm -hmm. him. So when Jesus turned around, and this is verse 38, when Jesus turned around and noticed them following him, he asked, what are you looking for? Now, obviously, Jesus knew what they were looking for, but he was asking them. Kind of reminds me of prayer. God knows what we need, but yet he still wants us to ask. So Jesus wanted these two young men to speak up for themselves and say, hey, why are you following me? Yeah. And then they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Uh, I, oh, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to add, you're exactly right. The questions of Jesus always intrigue me because he knows the answer, but mm -hmm. he asks them for a uh, a purpose. He wants these two individuals to speak up. Yeah. He he longs for them to state exactly what they're looking for. Uh, it's almost like these days you, you see the parent with the child and a, a toddler is frustrated and you hear the parent say to the child, Use your words. <laughs> Jesus is saying, <laughs> use your words. And I find it interesting as well, the times Jesus asks questions. I mean, to people that are blind, what do you want? I mean, isn't it obvious? I mean, yes, it is. But he wants them to identify, but he wants us to do the same thing in prayer. In chapter 5, we're going to see this guy, 38 years, he couldn't walk. And then Jesus asked a question, do you want to be made well? I mean, that sounds absurd, but it's not because he wants us to name 
what we are asking for. He really is teaching them early on about the the importance of verbalizing Mm -hmm. in prayer. That's right. And I say that with their own children. It's a lot nicer when they ask for something (laughs) than just wanting us to do it for them. That's right. There is something about that. That's right. So they said, where are you staying? Uh, I I think this once again goes into the awkwardness of the moment because Mm -hmm. we, at least from what we can understand no they kind of saw the messiah as mm-hmm. this fighter figure someone's going to destroy rome um so they probably weren't really sure much about jesus so to speak so when they asked him where he was staying if he refused to tell them uh <laughs> then it was uh, it was polite you know right. where are you staying if, yeah. if he says uh, it doesn't matter to you then it's like okay all right but uh obviously jesus tells them where he was staying and then he invites them to come and see, which I love that. That's a common common phrase, come and see, that we see in the book of John. But it, it's just that moment that they're, they they won't talk, they're following him, and then he, he says, why are you following me? They tell him, and then they're like, instead of saying, can we can we dine with you? Can we talk right. with you? They say, yeah. where are you staying? And then he, <laughs> he takes the lead and invites them. Yeah. They're showing respect. Yes. Uh, because it's rabbi. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting, uh, John has to translate because uh, rabbi is Aramaic, and so which means a teacher. So they're already showing initiative in a sense mm-hmm. of they, they want to get to know him. They obviously have a lot of questions, and they, they want to be with him. And then the whole come and see, come and see. We always pray, and, and we should. You know, Lord, let me not get in the way. Mm-hmm. We want people to see you. But here's the reality. People see us uh, first. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, uh, Paul writes to the, to the saints, and you became followers of us and of the Lord. And I, and I had to look at that, of us and then the Lord. Well, the truth is they see us. So what did they see uh, when they would follow us? I mean, did they see us having our devotions? Uh, did they see us going to church? Did they see us honoring God with our finances? Did they see us witnessing? Uh, so hopefully when they come... They see these things. Yeah. So he says, come and see. So it makes us think, what do people <clears throat> absolutely say when we do the same? So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. Mm-hmm. It was about four in the afternoon. So these two men talked to Jesus and listened to his words, and they were convinced that he was the Messiah. Um, just as another side note, I think it's... Good to realize that the apostles, or future apostles, were mostly very religious men. Um, Once again, books, entertainment, try to kind of point us that they were kind of these secular guys. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, maybe Matthew. um, It's possible with a few of them, but most of these guys were very dedicated, at least, to studying the law. They cared about the things of God. I mean, these two guys are following John the Baptizer. So um, these are men who are truly seeking out God. So I, I find it, it's a good to notice that they're seeking out God, and then God comes and finds them. Yeah, and, and I love your term, seeking, because they're seekers, yeah. and, but they are pursuing. Yeah. There was so much misunderstanding about who the Messiah would yeah. be. So, of course, they have tons of questions, because the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees must have really led a lot of people astray. So they, they want to go now and, and learn from the Messiah. So they knew that he was the Messiah, 
And uh, John, once again, an eyewitness to this account, gives the details that they started talking in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions we have is how did Peter, Simon's Peter's brother, or let me say that again, how did Andrew, mm -hmm. uh, Simon Peter's brother, respond? Mm -hmm. And verse 41 tells us, he, Andrew, first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. So Andrew is just bursting with excitement. He's found not only the Messiah, but the Son of God. And John the prophet even said this, and then they confirmed it by talking to him. And they had just had this really in-depth talk. So I think... You know, you have this guy who's just bursting with excitement. I found the Messiah. <laughs> and and it's so great because who is Andrew? I mean, even when you would do a general survey of people and ask about the uh, 12 apostles, Andrew probably is not someone who's going to be listed first, but Peter huh. is. And uh, I, I mean, if I threw out the name Edward Kimball, most people would go, who is Edward Kimball? Mr. Well, Kimball. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> Kimball. Yeah, Mr. Kimball. That's safe to say. Uh, but if I said D.L. Moody, then, okay, the uh, renowned uh, evangelist in America in the 1800s, Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. He brought uh, Moody to Christ, oh. and Moody probably brought millions of yeah. people to Jesus. That's Andrew. Yeah. I mean, Andrew is bringing the one who's going to stand up, and he's going to say, hey, guys, you killed the Messiah. Oh. And uh, see the 3,000 come to Christ on the day of Pentecost. So this is, this is magnificent uh, because sometimes the individual behind the scenes, the one not well known, is so necessary to the, to the plan and program of and God. And we're going to see that later even with the feeding of the 5,000 with the bread and loaves. It was Andrew. The mm -hmm. Greeks show up, talk to Jesus. Andrew knows where he's at. Mm -hmm. So it seems to be a trait of him. So I have a question written here that I want to mm -hmm. share with you and then our audience. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you respond to knowing the Messiah? Do you run and tell the other? Do you run and tell the ones you love about him? Mm. If so, you're like Andrew. Mm -hmm. However, Andrew did more than tell his brother Simon about Jesus. He brought him to meet Jesus. So ask yourself: How do you respond to knowing the Messiah? And I just think that's a very Relevant the question. Wonderful question, yes. So we'll jump into verse 42. Yes. And he, Andrew, brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Mm -hmm. So a question for you today is, why does Jesus say that Simon will be called Peter? Why doesn't he just say, you are Peter, right. you know, present tense? Why does he say, you will be called Peter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I've thought about this often, and Jesus has the ability to know what we're going to become. Uh, let me give you an example. You remember Gideon? And uh, <laughs> poor Gideon. Uh, it's the time of the judges. Everyone's doing what's right uh, in his own <laughs> eyes. And the Midianites and the Amalekites would wait for the Israelites to plant their crops. And then when it was time to be harvested, they'd either oh. come and ruin them or take them. So where do we find Gideon in Judges 6? He's in a wine press hiding, threshing oh. wheat, and the angel of the Lord appears to him. Now think about where he's at. He's hiding, and the angel of the Lord says, 
you mighty man of valor. And, you know, I can envision uh, Gideon kind of looking over his shoulder to see, is anybody in the wine press here with me? Because he's doing this uh, uh, incognito. Um, and then speaking about wheat, we have Peter and what Satan's desire to sift him as wheat. And then in Luke 22, in verse 32, Jesus speaks and he says, I pray for your faith, Peter. And when you are uh, converted, in other words, I know you're going to botch it. You're going to deny me three times. But when you have come back to me, strengthen the brethren. So our Lord looks at us and and we're the same way. When he called us to ministry, we feel so inadequate. You go, Lord, uh, seriously? <laughs> if, if, you, if you feel adequate, you're the wrong person. You're the wrong person. You're arrogant. You're arrogant. And and Peter had, of course, his, his moments, but the Lord foresaw what he would be. And later on, he, and how bold, stood up on the day of Pentecost, looked at 3,000 men and said, you killed the Messiah. <laughs> I mean, obviously a transformation, but that's why he's the rock. Because Jesus knew in the future who he would be. And I, I do think leaders, um, gifted leaders at times, have the ability to look at someone that maybe others would not consider a future leader oh. and then help them to get there. Yeah. But uh, I just think it's it's future tense because Jesus is looking down the pike and it tells us how we need to be patient uh, with all of our disciples as uh, our Lord has been so um, patient with us. Yeah. And when you look, it's after later Peter will call Jesus Messiah and uh, he'll be that rock. You know, he'll be the one who preaches at Pentecost. He'll be the one who stands up, uh, plant churches, and yeah. ultimately gives his life. So that's right. Uh, I think at this time he's still Simon the fisherman, religious man. Yeah, we'll see in a future podcast how uh, Peter's house, we believe, was right next to the synagogue, mm -hmm. and uh, so he was a religious man. But yet, in the future, he will become Peter, which is so important. Mm -hmm. So that wraps up this passage. Mm -hmm. So let's let's look at our employment or what we can learn from this text and then how we can apply it in our lives. So the baptizer pointed out Jesus's identity. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to harp on this too much just because it's been the last couple podcasts, but it's clearly the theme mm -hmm. that we've been seeing. Mm -hmm. That John was carrying out his ministry by pointing his disciples and the crowds toward Jesus as the savior of the world. I'd put as a side note, I think that's what we as pastors need to do. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we provide resources, we teach, we want people to become like us in our flock as we model Christ. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we are pointing people to Jesus, not to following us. That's right. And that's what John did masterfully. Mm -hmm. So be like John, who used his position to point people to Jesus and whet their appetites to investigate him. Mm -hmm. um, we know our ministry is not the same as John the Baptizer's ministry. We're not baptizing people into repentance. We're not you know, calling out to the Jewish people because the Messiah has already come. However, our goal does have some similarities in the sense that mm -hmm. we are pointing people to Jesus to be saved. So, you know. Yeah, our, our Lord came to seek and to save that which was lost. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's so much Jesus. I mean, he came to seek and to save. He had a mission. Oh. He got on it. 
and basically has passed the baton to us and said, now you go and make the disciples of all uh, the nations. So um, we have to carry out the Great Commission and fulfill. John was mm-hmm. amazing because he was so humble. Yeah. He wasn't worthy to unlatch the, you know, the sandal mm-hmm. strap of our Lord's sandal. And uh, Jesus said there was no greater individual mm-hmm. than he and yet he is doing the right thing and pointing people to Jesus. And, and that's exactly what we need to do now uh-huh. because he has the name above every name. And then Je- Jesus commands us in Mark 16, go into the world and preach the gospel to right. all uh, creation. Um, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Mm. Obviously, our baptism here is spiritual, and then after we are baptized into the family of God, we go and have water baptism, yeah. which doesn't save us, but is a symbol to the world. Mm. Once again, it's pointing to Jesus. I identify with him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Questions I need to ask myself. Do I point people to Jesus as the savior of the world? Mm. I, as you know, you were um, in Pennsylvania on Sunday, and I preached. And one of the main things I was asking the people or uh, imploring the people mm-hmm. to do was to live in such a way that, first of all, they don't make excuses. But then when they're at work, when they're at their home, mm-hmm. wherever they are, they're constantly pointing people to Jesus by the way they live, um, the way they love. Because I, I really think love is the ticket to win people. Yeah. Uh, love, obviously, love and truth work together. Mm-hmm. People will love you for it or hate you for it, <laughs> depending right. on how they receive the message. Yeah. But that was one thing I pointed out to the congregation is, hey, we need to, first of all, stop being like the man of excuses, stand up mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. love and point to people as Jesus, to Jesus as the savior of the world. Excellent. Uh, it was something my grandmother told me. It was an old saying, you know, you're the only Bible that most people will read. Mm-hmm. Um, so people look at us That's right. and then they make that decision. So we have to think as you're listening to this podcast, do you point people to Jesus as the savior of the world? Mm-hmm. And then thoughts. How have I done in the past pointing people to Jesus? Is there any visible fruit from my labor? Mm. If not, what can I do to become more like John, um, one strategy, you might use it too, but when I teach uh, Bible studies and we look at you know, how uh, things we should change, more uh, prayer time, more reading, mm-hmm. uh, managing our time well, well yeah. we find more and more the people are poor stewards of time and resources, yeah. um, especially my generation. So one thing I like to do instead of saying, how are you going to plan for next week? We look and say, how did you do last week? And, you know, what what went wrong last week? So how can we fix that for this upcoming week? So do you have any fruit for pointing people to Jesus? Um, so I, I think that's a legitimate question to have. Fruit bearing is such a big concept in, mm-hmm. in the New Testament. Yes. I've just uh, finished in preaching through uh, Galatians. And when chapter five, it speaks about the fruit of the spirit. And so we go back to 516. I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And those who are led by the spirit are not under law. That's 518. But as we are abiding, as we are remaining, then we do have fruit from our labor. Mm -hmm. They're the nine fruit of the spirit. It's a package deal. But then there's other fruit that we should have as we are pointing people to Jesus. I mean, 
in the writer of Hebrews, just before the temple is destroyed, says in Hebrews thirteen fifteen about the fruit of our lips. Again, fruit, huh. giving thanks to his name. And then in John 4, as we are going to move forward in time, uh, you see in the context with the Samaritan woman, Jesus is saying, lift up your eyes to the fields to ripe for harvest. But in 436, he talks about gathering fruit for eternal life. So if we're sincerely pointing people to Jesus, we are going to be bearing fruit. And it's it's something that um, is essential uh, to not only please him now, but it lays up treasure for the future. So it's so important for us to look and evaluate ourselves honestly, not arrogantly, right. or not... Uh, overemphasize ourselves mm-hmm. or under at the same time and just say, am I bearing fruit by pointing people to Jesus? Then we have our second um, application or employment that we look at. And first, our uh, second is Andrew and John investigated Jesus's identity. Uh, today, Jesus responds to those who seek him with the phrase, come and see. I don't think he's changed at all in that aspect. I think when people truly are seeking Jesus, mm-hmm. they will find him. Mm-hmm. And do you have the same vigor and desire to spend time with the Messiah as Andrew and John? Uh, and I have a note here. Uh, don't let some stupid liberal educator who has studied every book besides the Bible mm-hmm. define Jesus for That's you. Right. Study and investigate who Jesus truly is from Scripture. I, I find that, especially among pastors when I talk. Yeah. We tend to be very much into philosophy. Yeah. Um, we read everybody's works and so little on the Bible itself. Or or we just kind of use the Bible as a springboard to go into our favorite authors. Um, so I, I know obviously we need to read. We need to study. We can use other people's books, um, especially your books. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> so we'll do a little plug there for Thank Galatians you. on Fire and Thank all the you. other books you've read. But at the same time, the main focus is always scripture. And if the author you're reading just doesn't line up with scripture, you know, just make a note of that. You know, I have that when I go to read a book, I like to know where my author stands on most issues. Yeah. So that as I read, I'm like, uh, he's kind of, mm-hmm. he's kind of awful in this because if not, that gets into our brains. And I think that's a problem. So it's important for us to study who Jesus is for ourselves, find good teachers, find good preachers, find good books. But the focus of our time should always be on the Bible itself, and the others are supplements. My uh, journey took me to the Scripture early on because being brought up Roman Catholic, um, we didn't know the Bible. And I remember just reading through the Bible for the first time and and just honestly making that a practice. Um, Once, twice, even in my youth, sometimes three times a year because I just wanted to know the Word of God. And then from all of that uh, comes more disciplined and detailed study, but I, I say this sincerely, it's it's all based on the word. Um, I don't even open up a commentary. I don't even uh, take a look at what others are saying until I've I've really worked through a passage of scripture because I don't want someone's philosophy, if you will, enter into my thinking that's going to be thrust upon the scripture. Uh, so I I'm 100% in agreement with you uh, we can learn from others. We both have learned from many others, oh. and that's a blessing. But we have to pursue the Lord through the Word because, let's be honest, all these commentaries, all and even ones that I've written one day are all going to be torched 
but the word of God will remain forever. So I'm, I'm just with you encouraging everybody, get into the word, then find the pastor, pastoral staff uh, that love the Lord and the word and get under them as the disciples did in John 1. Mm. So study and investigate who Jesus truly is from Scripture. And that's what we learned from Andrew and John, investigating Jesus's identity. So a question I need to ask myself, how much time do I spend trying to understand the heart and mind of Jesus the Christ? Jesus being his earthly self, so to speak, and the Christ being his title as the Messiah. Obviously, he's the God-man, but do we understand the heart and mind mm -hmm. of Christ? John, who investigated Jesus came to the conclusion that Jesus was the Messiah. And he went on to write the book of John <laughs> yeah, yeah. to prove his point, which I yeah. mean, that, that's not bad. Yeah. So, um, so we see in John 20, 30 through 31, uh, John writes, Jesus performed many other signs in the mm -hmm. presence of his right. disciples that are not written in this book, but there are written, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So he investigated, he found him to be true, and he said, I can't even write all these down. Um, but uh, we have faith because of who he is. And then our thought, how do I really know Jesus? Do I have a hunger to investigate his life and works, or is that a low priority? And that's just a, something everyone needs to evaluate themselves with. Yeah, you just have to... Say, I will spend time daily uh, in the Lord's presence. I mean, if we're commanded to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, then we need to be pursuing knowing him through the word and making that a priority uh, in our lives. And uh, John did that. He investigated. And we have this wonderful gospel that shows the conclusion that he is yes. the, the Christ, the Son of God. And then we have our final, which is should be encouraging us. Jesus knew Simon's future identity in the same way he'll know ours. <laughs> Jesus knew what Peter would become. He knew his future identity as the leader of the church. And we should rest in the fact that Jesus already knows the future and what we will become. Um, we also see from another book John wrote in Revelation that Jesus will give us a new name in heaven that only you and him will know. And he writes in Revelation 2, 17, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the spirit says to mm -hmm. the churches, to the one who conquers or overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone and on the stone, a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. So I, I think it's encouraging to know that God knows what I will become mm -hmm. uh, and I can just take, uh, I guess, have peace and rest in that fact. So a question I need to ask myself, how has knowing Jesus changed my life? Um, we could spend all day on that one. So, um, and thoughts, can people tell from my life, my emotions and my morality that I am a follower of Jesus Christ? Mm. And we're going to see from the disciples, minus Judas, yeah. um, that you could see from their life's work that they they gave it all for him. Before we end, do you have any uh, final thoughts before we answer our two opening questions? Yeah, I love the passage you had chosen from Revelation 2, 17 about the hidden manna. Um, 
back in the Old Testament, God provided manna uh, daily on the day before the Sabbath. Uh, he gave two uh, breakfasts of uh, bills, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. But they had learned daily to depend upon the yeah. Lord, were to take his word daily and uh, digest it. And once that is done, people really should see, see that change. Yes, Don't definitely. be just hearers of the word, but to be a doer. And people should see that change. We're not perfect. We're going to struggle like Peter. We're going to have our ups and downs. But people should see that there's always a movement toward knowing Jesus Christ. And as they see that, it will be attractive to them because this world just has no answers for people. We know the one that's going to give us that new name, uh, that wants intimacy with us. And to think for just one moment that the God of creation has given this the greatest gift ever, the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ, that we might know him and then be able to have this daily relationship with him. That's what is so precious about this life is that our Messiah walks with us daily. So we started with our two main questions. How does Jesus respond to me when I seek him? Mm -hmm. And I think he honestly says, come and see. We put in the time and the effort of pursuing him. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays we read about him and we pray to him and we really understand who he is from scripture. And then our second question, which I think only uh, the person who hears it can answer Mm -hmm. is how has Jesus changed my life and identity? Um, Hopefully those around you could chime in and answer, Mm -hmm. but hopefully you can look at your own life and say, he has totally changed me. And that was the fourth episode in the father and son pastoral podcast. Uh, This episode was entitled, Jesus's first call of Andrew, John, and Peter, and was taken from John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. We'll see you next time.